0: You're with SBS Radio. Find more great stories in your language at sbs.com.au.
1: My guest is Kaylee Ryan, a Kabi Kabi and South Sea Island woman. Kaylee is a psychologist and is joining us in the aftermath of the recent flood disasters in New South Wales and Queensland. Kaylee Ryan and other experts argue that inadequate cultural competency training has pervasive and ongoing life-threatening consequences for First Nations people. These consequences include chronic poor health, high psychological stress, high suicide and incarceration rates. Now Kaylee Ryan, before we delve into your findings and uh, also the recommendations that you and other experts put forward, I'd like to welcome you on NITV Radio. Thank you. Now, tell us about your findings, the effects of the lack of cultural competency, and actually, is this really a prevalent issue, and how prevalent is this issue?
0: There's a, a lack of adequate cultural safety or culturally responsive training, particularly if it doesn't understand the ongoing impacts of the history or colonisation in this country and how that impacts Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people through you know, intergenerational trauma and it, the influences that and the ongoing systemic and institutional racism that exists. And more importantly, it's that thinking that you can learn about cultural responsiveness or cultural safety in, you know, a couple of hours or a couple of minutes even. Our belief from what we're seeing is that you need to have a good understanding of trauma-informed practice from a cultural safety cultural responsiveness um, foundation otherwise you continue to re-traumatize people
1: now the type of training you just described doesn't sound adequate at all how can it even be deemed that just after a few hours or if i'd say mere introduction uh, into one topic one could be considered as ready to go and uh, provide care i know it's
0: I think it comes back to what your priorities are, and that goes for not just those who fund our service providers, but organisations understanding their own culture and people understanding their own culture and how that influences and impacts upon how they deliver services and what they're open to understanding. It also provides a big gap when we look at lots of the healing modalities, lots of the cultural practices that are very restorative, very healing and supportive of our well-being um, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and failing to understand the importance of them and utilising them or incorporating them into how they provide support, care, how they formulate their responses and who they collaborate and who they work with in providing those responses and ongoing support.
1: Yeah, In some areas like Lismore in New South Wales, well, the people are heavily impacted. And I can think of one particular Aboriginal community on Cabbage Island or Cabo, as it is affectionately, affectionately known. This community was particularly hard hit. Now, what are your findings on how people on Cabbage Island are faring?
0: We had a comment from people on the ground about how devastating it is because... Not everyone starts from a level playing field, from the same place. Many communities have extra burdens on them already. And so disaster impacts everyone and is difficult. And in terms of responding to that, if you go with the understanding that everyone arrived with the same resources, then you'll misunderstand what these communities will benefit from and the importance of other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander organisations supporting them. I don't think I answered your question. You were really wanting to ask about the devastation. And I think to understand the devastation, you have to understand that our communities suffer from a whole lot of extra burdens that mainstream communities don't suffer from. We're talking about financial distress, racial trauma, institutional, systemic trauma and difficulties so you know the system wasn't set up for us and it often misses what is uh, appropriate response.
1: Now if I said that these communities are already experiencing complex issues would that be a good characterization or description?
0: Yeah that's a much better description (laughs) than what I'm saying to you. I, I don't want to be negative because our communities do so much with so little and they care for each other and you know what I've seen is that it's been our community members and our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander agencies and organisations that have stepped up and gone above and beyond with others as well but you know they've always been the backbone of providing support when it comes to trauma-informed and culturally safe response. Unfortunately they're usually the most underfunded So a lot of this work is done at their own expense. You know, that's difficult because that whole area has suffered and they're being hit again. And there was such a lack of response um, from the government to this space. What I am worried about is, are we actually being appropriately informed? You know, I think most services, mainstream services... Not Aboriginal Trust or Islander Services. They definitely understand, but many mainstream services have no idea what um, you know racial insults or assaults or um, invalidations even look like in their work practices. Not even aware of that. Let alone where would you start in terms of deep healing. Um, and sustainable practice for our communities.
1: Now, what would be your recommendation as a Kabi Kabi and South Sea Island uh, expert? What needs to be done to address the current kind of gaps you just identified?
0: I feel like I'm, you know, blowing my own trumpet. But yeah. we made, we developed training, we funded it ourselves, we put it together with Aboriginal Tosta Island experts in this field around um, cultural safety in trauma-informed practice. Face-to-face, it takes two days. It's, we put it online ourselves so that organisations could do the training and embed those, that information and those tools into their practices and policies to take care of not just the people they're servicing, but their staff as well. We've got staff in these areas, service providers, responders, who are under incredible, incredible stress and distress, and they're fatigued. That's not going to end anytime soon we need to be stepping up to support those people and these communities. As a country, we need to be stepping up. We need to be funding the right way so that our support and our response is adequate, not just quick, but adequate and long-term, and that sustainability needs to continue. And, you know, there's lots of talk about understanding that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, Aboriginal people in this area we're already saying what was safe practice in relation to building and living in places. And I think we have to stop worrying about blaming and actually start looking at sustainable healing and thriving and doing what needs to be done so this isn't just a revolving door that we have to deal with every year or couple of years and that we pay for it with people's lives, you know,
1: That summarises what needs to be done. Anything else you'd like to add to the conversation, Kelly Ryan?
0: Uh, I I think we have to start a conversation about cultural safety in trauma-informed practice. And that has to be Indigenous-led, delivered and developed by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people when we're talking about cultural safety for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in this country.
1: Kelly Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today about the need to provide culturally appropriate care to First Nations communities affected by natural disasters.
0: My pleasure. Want to hear more stories like this? Listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from.